This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. There's this idea that it's this like feel good, lovely, warm show. And I think it is, but it's also quite dark and has quite a lot of darkness in it and heaviness. And really, I think the show was ultimately about people trying to be better. And that's it. And in some cases, they don't get very far, but at least they're trying. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and this week I am joined by EW writer Sydney Buxbaum. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. We got a a lot to discuss today. Um, Our guest is uh, one of my favorite people on TV, Brett Goldstein, who uh, folks will hopefully know and love from Ted Lasso, which got 21 Emmy nominations this year. He also co-created the series Shrinking, which received two Emmys for its stars Jason Siegel and Jessica Williams. Um, we will we will go deep into Ted Lasso um, a bit later, but um, Sydney, we do have to address the big story in Hollywood right now. Uh, full disclosure, we are recording this episode right after uh, the SAG after press conference announcing the start of the strike. Um, and, and I want to go through some of the highlights uh, of that press conference, specifically SAG after uh, President Fran Drescher's very impassioned speech. I didn't know the nanny could get so fired up, yeah. but she certainly <laughs> did. And, uh, you know, it really made you kind of want to listen um, because, you know, there's some very serious points here. Uh, a, a couple highlights, like I said, uh, she said, this is a very seminal hour for us. I went in in earnest thinking that we would be able to avert a strike. The gravity of this move is not lost on me or our negotiating committee or our board members who have voted unanimously to proceed with a strike. Uh, she also said it came with great sadness that we came to this crossroads, but we had no choice. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. Ooh, that quote, I was like, "Mm, girl. All right. Uh, she continued. I'm shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it. Quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things. She says, if we don't stand tall right now, we're going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? Most of us Americans don't have more than $500 in an emergency fund. Uh, This is a very big deal and it weighed heavily on us, but at some point you have to say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. You people are crazy. What are you doing? Why are you doing this to us? And then lastly here, of course, this strike, she says, it's going to impact every single person that's in labor. We are fortunate enough to be in a country right now that happens to be labor friendly. And yet we were facing opposition that was so labor unfriendly, so tone deaf to what we are saying. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what's happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? It's crazy. So this jig is up. 
AMPTP, We Stand Tall. By the way, AMPTP, uh, the um, Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers, uh, which is a collective of uh, studios, various studios and networks, uh, and that's who they're negotiating with. Um, so I, I guess my first question for you is, you know, obviously everybody, uh, actors cannot do basically anything uh, except be on picket lines. Uh, and we, of course, know that that means so many productions are going to shut down. That impacts everybody who works on a set. And as we've all been speaking here in the offices, it eventually affects even what we do. Uh, you know, it affects the people who work at the coffee shops on studio lots. It affects a lot of people. And and effectively, I feel like we're almost back to where we were during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, where it's, you know, this this complete shutdown of Hollywood. But my question to you, I don't know if you have a crystal ball. Do you think this is something that gets resolved quickly because of that impact? Or do you feel like we should be prepared for weeks, even months? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball to mm. to know how long this is going to last because, like you said, it really is going to impact so many people, people you don't even realize that their yeah. livelihoods are being affected by this. And that's why it is such a last resort step that they had to take mm-hmm. to, to go on strike. Um, I think the hope is that it's not going to last very long you know, due to, due to f- the fact that so many people are going to be struggling as a result of this. But, I mean... It, it seems like the the negotiations didn't go anywhere and, and the, the studios weren't budging on, on some of the most common sense issues yeah. like the, the AI issue where, you yeah. know, they, they even said during the press conference, like one of the one of the aspects of the quote unquote groundbreaking policy of AI that the studios were offering was someone in background would have their face and body scanned mm-hmm. and the studios would own their likeness for eternity. Yeah. And that means, and those background actors don't realize mm-hmm. they're signing up for that. Yeah, and so that that's not groundbreaking at all. That's that's pretty evil, like Fran yeah. was saying. And and I think that you know what the what the SAG-AFTRA is asking for is is pretty common sense. And mm-hmm. and like Fran was saying, you know the the business model has changed so much, and the contract should be updated to reflect that. And yep. it clearly has not. So I I have a feeling that this is going to take a lot longer than people were maybe originally hoping for. Yeah. Two things on that. Um, With the AI, it's interesting because uh, some folks I've just been casually speaking with, uh, and I was even of the same train of thought with them, is that, you know, it feels like AI probably affects such a small percentage of uh, the SAG-AFTRA membership, the people who, like, you know, obviously the the Tom Hanks, the Tom Cruises, the Meryl Streep's, you know, Julia Roberts, they don't want their like they want to be able to control the ownership of of their image, their likeness. But, you know, maybe like, you know, someone who is an extra, it's not going to impact them. But no, they're saying here, no, it absolutely does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad that was stated. The other thing, you know, obviously we had that contract extension uh, from June 30th to July 12th. Fran Drescher brought up something quite interesting, saying that, you know, in those 12 days, we made hardly no progress because it felt like it was just a request on the part of the producers, the studios and everyone to say, you know, hey, let, let's let's keep talking here. But really, it was more about like, uh, well, we have these movies that we want to promote and we, mm-hmm. you know, we have all these press tours and stuff. I do not want to make any presumptions about what the motivation was. I will say there is a bit of a rumor going around that a certain movie star called up and, you know, uh, personally put in a little bit of a plea, a request to say, hey, uh, our movie opens on X date. I won't want to say the date because that might give it away. Um, but yeah, all, all of that to say, like, I, I, it's not totally crazy to think uh, that, you know, she she might 
be right in those regards that people just wanted a little bit more time to promote. I guess the thing that I wondered is why perhaps this national mediator wasn't brought in sooner. Of course, I don't know the ins and outs of everything that's been going on, but it feels like this is a large enough industry that you need to bring in anyone and everyone that you can to negotiate this. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a small organization. Mm-hmm. So, um, you would have you would have hoped and thought that they would have, have figured it out. And and to the point about, you know, the question we're asking, how long it's going to last, uh, a, a member of the media at the press conference did ask uh, Fran Drescher that. She said, that's up to them, the producers. We're open to talking to them tonight, but it's up to them. All of this is because of their behavior. It's up to them if they're willing to talk in a normal way that honors what we do. Of course, it's worth noting that the producers think that, uh, you know, they've put out their own statement uh, with, with their insistence that, they have been bringing a very, what I believe what they said was a historic um, mm. uh, offer to the table. SAG-AFTRA did not see it that way. So that right there tells you, like, this feels like it could be a while until they really get to a place where they're both happy. And yeah. that they both think they're winning on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate part is that each, each side needs to feel like they win when really it's just like, there's really no winning here. It's about like livelihoods mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. protecting likenesses and things like that. Mm-hmm. And somehow like figuring out a way to meet in the middle. But right now, both sides are digging in their heels at the very yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of, you know, your personal opinion on who needs to, you know, cooperate more right now, they're, it's at a standstill. So yeah. who's to say how long it's going to take for one of the sides to start to cooperate a little bit more. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, full disclosure, I should have said this off the top. I am, by the way, a member of SAG-AFTRA, uh, but but I'm, I'm not I'm not by any means a working actor. Uh, I make an appearance in a show next season. I had to be a member of SAG to do that. But uh, I feel like I should just state that um, I, I fully support the member that I am because of that, a, a, you know, a member of. But uh, I also want to see, you know, a, a fair deal um, mm-hmm. reached for for everyone involved. And you would hope that people are able to take a step back and realize that bottom lines aren't necessarily important. Mm-hmm. People yes. and livelihoods are. So I, I hope there is a very quick resolution to this and that and that truly both sides are happy with it. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. we're, we're at such a place where technology moves so quickly. I can't imagine like what we're able to do with AI right now is going to be so different even in six months. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if this is even a possibility. The solution is that AI is something that's continually negotiated um, and that there's never, you know, a, a locked in. Uh, a, I mean, especially for three years, that seems wild. Mm-hmm. What in three years technology will be so vastly different. Yeah, um, I mean, think it's scary to think about it. Yeah. Even like a year ago, like mm-hmm. AI was not in the conversation as much as nope. it is now. And to think of how much we've already ex- advanced in, in just a mm-hmm. year. There's no telling where it's going to, yeah. to go. Yeah. And honestly, it's something that's been used for quite a while. Like mm-hmm. there, there's the term that I think people might be more familiar with uh, that I am anyway is I believe it was called digital facial replacement, mm-hmm. where sometimes the faces of stunt people are replaced with the actor's face because you could see a little too much of the stunt performer's face. So they had to get like the actual actor on there. I guess you could kind of say that's what was used with Paul Walker Mm -hmm. uh, and his brother. His brother stepped in to film the final bits of scenes for, was that Fast 7? Mm -hmm. Uh, that that he passed away during production of. 
Um, so his brother stood in for him. They used Paul's face from previous movies. So that's AI in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's at least like digital technology. Digital is part of the conversation here, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in that instance, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it's not there's no language in the contract to, right. to protect Paul Walker. But in that instance, obviously, his brother was cooperating and, and yes. acting yeah. as the stand in. So like yeah. his family was very family was much fully agreeing. part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, they didn't necessarily have to involve the family and they didn't have to get permission. And so I think that that's all part of what they're trying to negotiate. Yeah. Scary stuff. I mean, even uh, even some folks from the technology sector have issued warnings about AI. Uh, The Federal Trade Commission is uh, starting to speak up, saying we really need to be taking a serious look at this. There are some some frightening things here. Coming off of, you know, the past few years, fake news was a very mm-hmm. big topic. And now literally fake news can be created just by, uh, you know, people can generate a quote from, uh, I've already said his name, I'll go to it again, Tom Hanks, if they want to, because it can scan the internet and know words he uses, phrases he uses, things he says to, to generate fake statements and mm-hmm. in his just, in his own voice in his own voice in his but using yeah. his own face like yeah. it truly is a very scary moment and i think that we do need protections in place to to regulate the yeah. use of it in, yeah. in those instances well hopefully uh hollywood can be a big part of trying to uh set the tone for that mm-hmm. even um and not be part of the problem yeah. but a potential solution to it so, uh, anything else you want to add on the strike? Um, I just thought that Fran's speech was very impassioned, very yeah. um, inspiring. Um, yeah. I also love how she was able to explain the the publicity photo that showed her yes. in Italy recently. And, and she explained how she wasn't there for a trip or for fun. And mm-hmm. she literally was working as, you know, part of one of the contracts she had signed yeah. f- as a, an ambassador for a fashion company. And, you know, while she was doing her job in Italy. She was also on Zoom, you know, zooming into the negotiations and mm-hmm. in constant contact and in all the meetings and working over 18 hour days and in three time zones. Like it, it really was a great, you know, explanation because yeah. a lot of people were wondering, you know, what why that jumping to a lot was, of conclusions. Yeah, jumping mm-hmm. to a lot of conclusions. And it it was very clear that that was um, part of some kind of union busting right, uh, right. endeavor. And, and it was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not the so, case. Yeah. So I, I was glad that they were able to explain the, the meaning behind that photo. Indeed. Yep. All right. Well, we will close that chapter of uh, this conversation of the podcast. And um, I mean, who knows? Sydney, like I told everyone, we're recording this on Thursday. Maybe by Sunday evening, this entire conversation will be moot point. But if it is, it'll be a nice little time capsule of what happened for three days. Um, (laughs) That would be amazing if it was all (laughs) done by then. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So let's talk, as promised, about uh, we've already, uh, you know, broken down a lot of the Emmy nominations the day that they came out uh, last Wednesday. But um, specifically, want to talk with you about two shows that I know you love, you cover for us, uh, and that... uh, did quite well at Emmy nominations. <laughs> Ted Lasso, we'll start there. As I mentioned, they got 21 this year, including Outstanding Comedy Series and then acting nods for uh, Brett Goldstein, uh, in addition to Jason Sudeikis, Phil Dunster, Hannah Waddingham, and Juno Temple, as well as guest stars Sarah Niles, Harriet Walter, Becky Ann Baker, and Sam Richardson, and then lots of other craft categories. There are a lot of folks in town who firmly believe that the show will three-peat as comedy series winner where do you stand like if the awards are tomorrow 
Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that there's a very high chance that that could happen. Um, I I know that there was some like pushback to the fact that it happened last year or mm-hmm. for yeah, season for two, season two. Yeah. but I truly thought that it deserved it in season two. Um, I'm not quite sure that it deserves to do the three-peat. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the final season. It wasn't as groundbreaking as yeah. the first two felt. Um, the resolution in the finale wasn't quite where I, I mm. needed it to be. Mm. Okay. Um, but I, but I, again, I still enjoyed watching these characters. Yeah. I, I still felt great while watching it, and that's why I loved the show mm-hmm. in the first place. So I don't know. I don't think it deserves the best comedy award, but yeah. I do think it deserved the nomination. That's all very fair. It, I, it was so interesting watching the third season for me because it was a lot of individual parts that then once we got to the end, it was like, okay, there's the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were watching all those individual parts, it was kind of like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Where's this all heading? Yeah. Where's this heading? What's going on? And I thought they brought it all around. I, I quite enjoyed the finale. Um, uh, I mean, I think obviously the writing was on the wall pretty early, uh, even at the end of season two, of course, uh, you know, well, maybe not quite the end of season two, but certainly at some point in season three that like, Definitely okay, the, the opening scene of season three. <laughs> yes. Yes. That uh, Ted was not going to be sticking around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there were, there was that and it was, you know, how it went 13 episodes to get us uh, there to officially kind of confirm that. But I know a lot of people did not like Juno Temple storyline. I, I didn't like it at first while it was happening, but I, where she ended up. I got it. Then it was like, okay, she had to go through that to get her to a certain place. And so I was I was cool with that. I was okay with it. And actually, I kind of like that she didn't she didn't pick either guy because they were trying to force that on her. And she was like, mm, no, we're not going to play that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. I had a problem with it because it felt very much like the the age old can a woman have it all storyline. Like she was so sure. successful yeah. in her job and she was obviously learning how to be a boss and to mm-hmm. lead her own company. Why couldn't she also have her relationship with Roy? And yeah. why couldn't she make a romantic decision for herself? At the end, it felt like her storyline was boiled down to, sure, she could be successful in work, but that doesn't mean that she also gets love. Mm-hmm. And that felt very regressive for yeah, a character that felt yeah. very, you know, progressive throughout yeah. the first two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. I guess I look at it, at it to an extent as that she could have had it, but she told mm-hmm. them, like, no, I'm going to do this on my like, you don't tell me who I get to be with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was just a kind of a like. Don't force me into a decision. I'll let you know when the time's right for me. Yeah. Um, I, if, if you it, know, there it was like a dot, dot, dot. And like she eventually does get to yeah. have her happy ending with romance. Like, absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. But it felt like that was she was choosing work over yeah. romance, yeah. at least in, in the way that I saw it. Yeah, so no, I, that's totally true. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, I did like that we got a bit of a tease that she presented the idea to uh, Rebecca that, hey, what about a women's? Uh, football club. Yes, I would um, watch that spinoff. Hundred <laughs> percent. Give me that because I think that would also mean an entirely new coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of incredible uh, potential. I think for that story, and I think you know you would still have 
uh, Roy and and Beard and Nate in the background because they would probably still be you know around the club. Um, so you would you would see them a bit, and maybe some of those those other players that we love. But um, by the way, though, even with Keeley, I do ask uh, Brett this. Uh, so I don't want to give away totally his answer. We'll tease it a bit. Um, ask the potential just for them being a throuple. Oh. So I would watch that spinoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, exactly. There's there's so many options like you could give us two entirely different shows. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'd be on at the same time, but hey, why not? <laughs> let's let's give it a run. Just make Ted Lasso a year round. The Ted Lasso extended universe. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. I yeah. I mean, I guess so. Would they all have to have new titles? Could Ted Lasso stay Ted Lasso focusing on a women's team or give it a new? It would have to be a new title. Yeah. Like maybe the the name of the coach for the women's right, football true. club. Yeah. 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 We could go that route. Like, don't do don't give me a like Ted Lasso colon. Yeah. Her no, name. Absolutely uh-uh. not. <laughs> no. Just give us. Yeah. That that female uh, coach's name. OK. In terms of specifically, let's talk about the actors. Who uh, who of them do you think stands the best chance of winning? Oh, man. I, I think Jason stands the best chance at mm-hmm. the three peat for his acting mm-hmm. nod. I think Brett Goldstein is also quite beloved by Mm -hmm. the TV Academy. I also think Juno Temple really showed a new range in this season with Keeley. Yes. Um, She made her very much more three dimensional. Yeah, there was a lot of humanity there. There was a lot of, yeah, you felt her kind of emotional torment. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, she just really impressed me. She she constantly blew me away in the mm-hmm. first two seasons, but this was absolutely her acting showcase. Yep. Um, I think those are those are the ones who stand the best chance. Yeah, I I wonder if Phil Dunster can pull off an upset, mm. but only because Phil and Brett. And they had the funniest stuff together. <laughs> I know. I loved their I, new friendship yeah. this season. Yeah. Even though I think Roy would. He would push back against that word, yeah. friendship. But uh, there's a relationship of some kind. But no, I mean, deep down, it's like, come on, Roy, give in. You're friends. He just has to maintain that coach-player separation, I think. But mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really love their stuff together. He was so funny this season. Both of them were, especially when they were together. So that's, I wonder if one would potentially boost the other to a win. By the way, the day of nominations, uh, when Clark Collis, our, our beloved Clark, spoke with uh, Phil that day, Phil told him that he will, quote, scream and probably take my shirt off as well and run <laughs> around the auditorium if Brett wins over him. Of course, just being fun and funny. But I mean, why not? That sounds give us, very give us a show at the Emmys. <laughs> you know, that's what we're here for. Um, some folks might not think that's much decorum, but, you know. <laughs> It's we got to be entertained as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other show I want to talk to you about uh, when you cover the White Lotus, <laughs> 23 nominations in addition to one more for its after show. Do, do we call it an after show? A digital yeah. series? Yeah. A companion series? Sure. Um, so uh, they, of course, got outstanding drama series. Well, let me back up. They were not limited series this year. They were drama series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they did get that. And then nine of the 23 nominations are for the cast. I'll run through that list. Jennifer Coolidge, Aubrey Plaza, Megan Fahey, Sabrina Impacciatori, Simona Tabasco, F. Murray Abraham, Michael Imperioli, Theo James, and Will Sharp. Um, that's almost all of the cast. There's no Haley Lou Richardson. There's no Adam DeMarco and none of these gays, namely Tom Hollander, who um, we had a little fun with that article you uh, that you wrote there. <laughs> but yeah, gosh, I mean... Jennifer Coolidge, I'd love to say, is a lock, but you never know. You never know. But there's so much uh, 
support and fervor for her. So much love. Um, and she gives great speeches, too. She oh, creates yeah. moments. And so <laughs> that that goes for something. If any of the women were to upset Jennifer Coolidge. It would be Megan. Okay. Absolutely okay. Megan. All right. I I'm mean, here for it. it. I, I would totally support it. I think it would be a massive upset. I think... Jennifer has it on lock. I, I think she's going to go mm-hmm. for the double Emmys. But I I mean, there's something to be said for Megan's, the way that she was able to convey mm. so many emotions in complete silence. Yeah. Like a 30 second close up on her face. Yes. I mean, that alone, I was like, give her the Emmy now. Her work was brilliant. Yeah. And what's funny is it took a second for people to really catch on to how great she was in yes. each of those moments because you had to sit and, and think about it uh, days later mm-hmm. or, you know, even the next week and you're like, oh, wait, that thing she said or did, oh. Yeah, yeah sometimes it was just a shift of the eyes, um, uh, just a slight change in a, a smile became just a little bit more subtle of a of a movement with her mouth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There were just there were so many little things um that that weren't necessarily obvious at first. Yeah. And that's a mark of a really true performance. She did some outstanding work. Yeah, I remember every week after the episodes would come out, I would get into very heated debates oh. with my friends and we were all trying to like argue for what we thought her character's oh, yeah. motivations were yeah. and like what she actually meant by when she said that or mm-hmm. when she showed the photo. Every, yeah. Like it, it was no one could figure out or pin down exactly what was going on in that character's head, which just spoke to the many complex layers that Megan wove into her portrayal of, yeah. of her. And it was. Yeah. I mean, that was the the highlight of season two for, yeah. for a lot of people. And especially the finale when she and Will Sharp are uh, kind of sitting together on the beach. Mm-hmm. And there's the moment where she's we, we know that she's kind of come to terms with the fact that her husband cheats on her. We know that she cheats on her husband. But it was more the fact that she realized that Aubrey Plaza had potentially betrayed her. Mm-hmm. That was the one that really stung and hurt. And that's uh, specifically in that scene. When you see her, she has like three different faces in that scene. Yes. And she's trying so much to kind of um, conceal the potential like heartbreak to think that that like they'd had such a great week and they bonded. And then she's like, she stabbed me in the back, too. Like she betrayed me. That was mm. yeah. I mean, she went through all five stages of grief in in one yeah. in one moment. Yeah, and like it's you so saw true. it, you saw the shift in in mm-hmm. each step of the way until she finally got to acceptance and, and yeah. figured out how she was going to handle it. And and it was so interesting talking with Megan and Aubrey before the season began, mm-hmm. and both of them kept saying how the real love story of season two is not who you think. And it Mm. it turned out to be with these two women creating this friendship when they both, you know, very clearly didn't have many female friends in their lives. And, and they found this bond with each other and then how that completely fell apart by the end of the season. It was just, I mean, it was, it was not at all what you expected to see. And the way that they both played it was incredible. But Megan for sure is the, the star of this season. Um, on the flip side, I think of the men, I think Will was uh, kind of the equivalent in those regards because mm-hmm. so much of his stuff was internalized. And I spent a lot of time trying to interpret what he was thinking with any given gesture or facial movement, uh, you know, the same kind of thing. Because Theo James, he did a lot of talking. He was kind of wearing, not necessarily wearing everything on his sleeve, but he was 
I think he was overcompensating for a lot, and that's mm-hmm. why he spoke a lot. Yeah. Um. So there was there was also a, a lot of layers to even a performance uh, like that. But Will just really intrigued me to to kind of watch every single thing he did. I'm mm-hmm. I'm sad Adam DeMarco did not get in here. Um, yeah. I I thought he really was a, a standout as well. Yeah, and even Haley Lou too. Like yeah. their their entire storyline also was constantly like making yeah. me second guess what was going to happen next mm-hmm. and i think with you know different actors it would have felt like a totally different story and yes. and yeah i, I was kind of i mean i don't know if it can be called a snub when basically pretty much like 80% yeah. of the cast got nominated yeah. but <laughs> yeah it, they did it, it felt kind of a like a letdown that they weren't yeah. also recognized the day of nominations, when we did our Twitter space, which you can, uh, folks can also hear, we made it an episode of The Awardist. So check that out as well. But um, I posed this question to Kristen Baldwin and, and Sam Highfill, and now I do to you. Do you think the Emmy should have ensemble categories? Yes. And I also think that there should be some kind of new rule put into place that limits the amount of actors from mm. a singular show that can be nominated in the category. Because, I saw that conversation brewing on Twitter. Yeah, looking at the supporting actor in a drama series category Mm -hmm. is half succession and Mm -hmm. half white lotus yeah and no one else and that feels very wrong Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there are folks like giancarlo esposito from uh better call saul who is a pretty much nominated all all the time for that he's not in there um other people who i'm I'm forgetting right now but uh yeah it was um I was a little shocked by that. Also because mm-hmm. I didn't expect so many of the men to get in. I expected a lot of the women from White Lotus, but not yeah. as many guys. And not that they're undeserving, but I think there was just a bit of like people loved the show so much that they were just checking the boxes. Yeah. And I think the same can be said for Succession too. Like mm-hmm. the final season was fantastic. Yeah. But the fact that these acting categories are completely dominated by HBO, like the two in The Last of Us, you know, mm-hmm. let's not forget, like these three HBO shows are basically sweeping all of the acting yeah. categories. And and while I do think the acting is incredible, there are so many other deserving shows and actors on other streamers or other networks mm-hmm. that I think were, were snubbed as a result of yep. everyone kind of like just piling on these yeah. three shows. Yeah. Well, to further that point, that question, do you think it could just be one ensemble category or does each genre get their own comedy and drama? I think it would have to be for each genre. Yeah. I think it's really hard. And we've seen this in the past with the the whole argument of whether or not there should be a dramedy category. Yeah. It's really The answer difficult. is yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Wholeheartedly, <laughs> yes. It is impossible to compare drama versus yeah. comedy with the performances and the writing and the directing. Like it is two completely separate things and and yeah. when you judge them against each other unfortunately drama always seems to reign supreme for a lot of different reasons that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah i think that it should be separated by category yeah i mean we definitely see that obviously at the oscars more dramas mm-hmm. get into uh you know best picture than than comedies um well all right television academy you have heard our pleas ensemble categories and a dramedy category pretty pretty please we're we're happy to discuss how that would all break down. Um, so just just find us. We'll set a meeting for next week. Um, all right. So that said, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, it's my interview with Brett Goldstein. Don't go anywhere. The awardist will be right back.
Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, folks, it is time for the main event. Today's special guest, Ted Lasso, writer and star. He's a two-time Emmy winner for his performance as Roy Kent, and he is a nominee again this year. Here he is, Brett Goldstein. Brett Goldstein, thanks so much for joining me on The Awardist. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Of course, I'm fantastic. Thanks. Uh, so uh, you've been um, since the since the show ended, since Ted Lasso ended and shrinking uh, as well. I suppose you've been out hitting the stage doing stand up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing a shit ton of stand up. Lots of places in America, and, and I've done some places in Europe. Is it uh, something you you just hadn't really had a chance to do much of over the past three years, or how how did it all work out? I never stopped doing it, and I always did stand up whenever I had. A free evening. It's hard to do when you're filming, but uh, yeah. I hadn't stopped. It was always bubbling away, but I had, uh, I thought it's about time I do, you know, a proper full show. Uh, yeah. I hadn't done one of them for, I hadn't done one of them since Ted Lasso because I'd had to pause it when uh, Ted Lasso started. I was about to do a big show then. So, um, so it's good to get back to it, and I fucking love it. Yeah, well, well, and of course the pandemic happened, so that kind of yeah, there was no the, one was going out the pandemic? to venues and theaters and everything. Yeah, yeah, that thing. I'd like to not remember it, but yeah. Fair <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into Ted Lasso a bit. We know, uh, you know, over over the years, Jason and others. Uh, I, I think maybe you've you've uh, explained Jason's stance on it as well that there was always a three season plan for the show. Mm. But how much of the ending? Did you know at the beginning of those three seasons, like, was it always the plan that Roy would become head coach and Ted would leave? No, the things that I knew at the beginning, I knew Ted would leave. I think we always knew uh, that was that. Okay. That was that. It was a three season thing where in the end, Ted is going to leave. Uh, yeah. As for other things, I'm not sure. I think the Nate story was was always there. There are things about uh-huh. it where it's like Jason had. I always think of it like sort of markers, like signposts. Like here's the here's the trail of the of the of the whole show. And Jason had a few things where he's like, "This definitely happens. This definitely happens. This definitely happens." And then the rest is you finding ways to those markers. And along the way, lots of things change and inspire other things. But these markers remain; they never change. Got it. Got it. So uh, at at any point, uh, I mean, I guess this applies to to any of the seasons, really, I asked this question, but what was the biggest challenge along the way in getting the story to where you guys were hitting all those marks and like, okay, we have properly set ourselves up, but man, getting through like this part was a little harder than some of the others. I think what one of the uh, sort of joys and challenges is that all of the characters are so great and all of the actors turned out to be so great that it does become slightly like mm-hmm. it's a bit like Springfield and you know you sort of go every character even people that have had one line you sort of go oh we could do more with that like they every everyone felt, felt so realized it's like there's too many good things so you're like you, you get to the point where you have a scene where someone delivers a paper and you start thinking let's not have someone deliver the paper because we're going to fall in love with that character they'll be fucking great and then we're gonna have to write a, <laughs> we're gonna have to write a whole art for the guy that delivered the fucking paper yeah yeah, yeah. There's kind of a, like an embarrassment of riches. It's that thing characters. I've always liked in films like in American Werewolf in London, which you, if you ever watched that, I think one of the reasons it's like a classic is everyone, even the people that have two lines, three lines, <sighs> they're all they're all characters. They're all fully, they're all funny. They're all interesting. Yeah. The police that show up for one scene are fucking funny. Like I feel that way about Ted Lasso. It's like all the parts. There's no small parts in Ted Lasso, and I say, which is a great thing, but yeah. also then becomes a challenge because you go. 
how do we fit all of this in? One of the answers is make it longer. <laughs> yeah, that's such a great point that um, the show really gave everyone, even with one line, a moment to shine, which is not easy to do, honestly. No. no. But it all worked out that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's all that thing of like, make it with love, like without being a dickhead. It's like you, you have to write all your characters with love. And that includes the person that walks past Ted and calls him a wanker every day. You know what I mean? Like you end up falling <laughs> in love with yeah. that character, yeah. like all of them. So in season three in particular, you know, it was bookended with Keely and Roy were together in the beginning, but of course, very quickly separated. Mm -hmm. And then we got that glimmer of hope, like, oh, great, they're reconnecting. Uh, But then, um, you know, (laughs) Jamie and and Roy kind of muffed things up. They fought over her. She literally showed them the door. Um, But then I got to say, at the end, you know, there was that montage. We saw them at the party. I felt like I was watching that thing like a detective looking for someone like, is someone going to put their arm around her? Is she going to like touch one of their arms? Like what is like, give us some kind of uh, acknowledgement of, you know, their affection or relationship, but we got nothing. We got nothing, Brett. Um, people have of course been deep, deep in their feelings about Roy and Keeley. When they broke up, did your social media just blow up over it? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm devastated they broke up. Like, it, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. Like, it's really sad. It's really fucking sad. I always think, I was like, that's why we had um, kind of always get what you want in the trailer, the music. I was like, yeah. Uh, I think mm. it's very sad, but it's also a show about people who make mistakes and and are constantly learning. Like, there's a there's an element of this season where I'm like, it's quite. I often think that there's a misunderstanding with Ted Lasso as a show that it's, and I get it. And I think it, I think if you didn't watch it, if you just heard about it or saw like the kind of posters and stuff, there's this idea that it's this like feel good, lovely, warm show. And I think it is, but it's also quite dark and, and has quite a lot of darkness in it and heaviness and really, I think in, it's not, you, you know, you only think about these things in hindsight, having done them and looked over them. I'm like, I think the show was ultimately about people trying to be better and that's it. Like as in, and that, and in some cases they don't get very far, but at least they're trying. And, and I think we leave some people further along their journey than we found them. Everyone's a little bit along their journey, but some people aren't that far, but they're trying. And, mm-hmm. and it's not as sort of warm and lovely and magical as it is. It's not a fairy tale. It doesn't go like, and here's everyone's happy ending. It's like they win the game. They don't win the league. You know, they win the battle. They don't win the war. It's like, it's, it's, (laughs) it's kind of that. I think like we're, we're leaving them still in the middle of the story. Like nothing, a lot of it isn't resolved Mm. really. But what we, what we have seen is that everyone to varying degrees is slightly better than they were. And they are still trying. Yeah. Yeah. And there still seemed to be a, uh, like they seemed to be happy. They were mm. having fun. They were all at a little like party together and, and that's okay. Happy is, uh, comes in different forms yeah. and shapes and different relationships. So yeah, that's fine too. So then though, let me pose this question to you. Could, could Roy, Keeley and Jamie be a throuple? <laughs> Listen, the, the other beauty of, uh, a TV show and ending where you end it is we didn't end their stories. We didn't end, uh, Roy and Keeley. And for me, and, and it's how I feel about Twin Peaks, how I feel about shows that I love is that 
I like the fact that some things aren't resolved so that I can dream what I want to dream. Now, in my dream, there's a lot of Roy and Keeley and there's a lot of Roy and Keeley and Jamie. <laughs> and the throttle is, is, yeah. is absolutely fine with me. I think if it, I think in, in my dream version, you know, it's a throttle. It's mostly Roy and Keeley, but Jamie joins in occasionally. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's sort of... That's the, it's it's not uh, completely equal, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I, I get. But that. I also like there are people that like is the end of the show a dream? Is it not a dream? And and I've heard some people have answered that, and I I always think like we shouldn't answer these things because it's kind of up to you. Like I like that you make this thing and then you hand it over to the audience, and huh. everyone can take from it what they want it to be because it's now in your hands. I did not know the dream theory, but that's interesting. Eh, I don't know if I buy into it. Well, you think about it. We're playing with the time. Yeah. Time, you know, he gets on the plane and we see the future and then he lands the plane. Like, maybe it's his his dream of what it is. All in Ted's head. Oh. You know. Well, dang it, Brett. Now I got a whole lot to think about and I feel like I have to <laughs> rewatch everything. It's changed everything as I knew it. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to let that one simmer a bit and, and think about that. Okay. So let's talk about Juno Temple. What was your favorite part of getting to, yeah. um, gosh, just, just be part of that relationship and play with her. Look, I, 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 there's a, there's a, there is a thing of being like the reality of making a show and the, the difference of being of like the creative of it. And the story is all well and good, but the reality meant that I didn't have many scenes with Juno this year. Yeah. And that was so sad because, mm. you know, most of season two, I'd say 70% of my scenes were with Juno. And I loved working with Juno so much. She's such a, I'm sure I've said this before, but I was intimidated. Like I was scared to, to work with her because she's fucking amazing. And, mm. and her career has been making very serious, very, independent proper art house she's a proper actor and when jason said what about juno i I remember thinking what and and being scared like well obviously i can't keep up with juno she'll be she'll be i don't know what i was expecting i sort of i guess i was expecting her to be a amazing but be sort of intimidating and difficult Mm. or something and she was immediately like we're safe together whatever you need let's talk you know we're 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 a unit on this and and we sort of built this thing, but but in a scene and how she is as an actor is she just gives you light and then you just mm. have to give it back. Like it's she's so doing the scene with you. She's yeah. not trying to win the scene, she's not trying to overtake the scene. She's like, This is for us, this moment, this thing. And then you just have to give it back to her and and she's fucking wonderful. I loved, loved, loved all of us in. But I think that light comes through on the screen too, because she just kind of like radiates yeah. this energy and uh, yeah. that comfort that you're talking about with her. I, I feel like I feel that when I watch, like when she's on, it's like, Oh, okay. Hannah, I feel the same way about too. It's there's just something yeah. about the two of them. Boy. And then you get them together. Oh, their scenes are, uh, uh, it's good stuff. Well, so not getting to work with Juno as much in season three, though, on the flip side, you did get to work a lot more with Phil Dunster. Yeah, so then that all balanced out balanced out by having 70% of my scenes with Phil Dunster, who is, the, you know, the other great love of my life. So I actually, it all, it all, I'm a very lucky boy, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, this this season, as um as as Roy was training Jamie more, mentoring him more, uh, but then, of course, not really lost on people that, of course, these are Keeley's uh, two exes, 
finding a way to like be simpatico and um and you know as you said about people trying to be better jamie wants to be better roy kind of knows how to help him unlock that um so i guess kind of same question i asked you about uh, about juno what what um what did you really relish about about all that extra time you got to spend with phil this season listen phil's one of my he's truly one of my favorite people in the world so there's the the kind of off-camera relationship which is i would i would happily you know Bill and I have been on holidays together. Like we love each other. We have a fucking great time. So that's great. Uh, but then on camera, I don't know. Like we, <laughs> I get. I know why people want there to be a trouble because it's undeniable. <laughs> We've got fucking chemistry. I get yeah, it. Yeah, you do. I get it. I feel it. I'm there. <laughs> we got chemistry. We're either going to headbutt each other or kiss each other, and we never know what. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, he's and he's also just. Phil is a phenomenal actor. He he is. Phil is disgustingly talented. He can sing. He can dance. He can do front flips. He can act. He can do comedy. He can do sound effects. He can <laughs> he can play football very well. Like he, there's really nothing he can't do, other than believe in himself enough. Oh oh no! What what did the show teach him? Nothing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the interesting thing, we, you know, some of these folks were talking about is that um, I, I think you guys really, you brought together a, a cast that everyone um, uplifted everyone else. It felt like not that anyone necessarily needed it, but it just feels like it perhaps organically happened. I don't know. What's your take on that? I, I, it's, it's the thing where I, I've always said it back to Leslie that it feels like there was some magic as in you, you can cast whoever. It, it, in a dream world, you can cast whoever you want, right? And those people can all be brilliant. You can cast a load of brilliant actors. But the fact that, that all the actors work well together, the fact that everyone together has a certain chemistry, the fact that this ensemble works, this huge picture of people, that everyone is great, and individually and together, I either go, yeah, the cast... I just think there's a bit of magic. I think there's a bit of luck mm. in that because, mm. because you can also... I've seen things with really great actors where there's no chemistry and that's yeah. not anyone's fault. It just wasn't the right mix of them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the fact that that is seemingly such a good mix on this, I can't answer it other than uh, uh, magic. It's just magic, mate. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 the other sort of serious answer is I think once a template has been set of, of a vibe, of an attitude, of uh, how everyone is making this show. That I do think when new people join, that everyone's bringing their their best, and they mm. and they want. So there's that. There's the kind of wanting to be part of this thing and to be as good as everyone else and to join in. And it's a it is a fucking oh god that sounds so cheesy, but it's a team. You know, you become it's all the things that the fucking show is about. You become a team, and you're all supporting each other and fans of each other. And yeah, there there are worse things if art is imitating life in this case. So I, that's, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's all right. That's all right. For sure. Um, in the finale, one of the, it is one of the smallest little things that happened, but I maybe didn't, uh, I, I probably laughed harder at this than anything else all season. When the team is singing so long farewell to Ted 
there's a very brief cutaway to the sideline and Roy is mouthing along the words to the song. Yes. <laughs> okay. Was that intentional or did they just like catch you in a moment? Yes. Okay. No, because Roy, if you see in, in season one, if you look closely, Roy is mouthing along to let it go in the karaoke because <laughs> Roy, Roy knows all these songs because of Phoebe. Uh, ah, he's, he's watched yeah. all these things with Phoebe. And so, whether Roy knows it or not, he is subconsciously, he knows all of these fucking songs uh-huh. <laughs> and he can't help himself. He thinks he's he's going like, fucking do your job, but the, yep. it's coming out of him. It was, it's brilliant. It's, there was that little callback to season one. I mean, there were lots of things. The reverse, the reverse spit take, uh, Rebecca wearing yeah. uh, like the yeah, same outfit great. that she wore when meeting. Yeah, there were so many good callbacks in season three. Is that- um, oh, was there a lot of thinking about that in the writer's room or did that, did a lot of that stuff more happen on the set? Uh, no, it, like it's funny because sometimes, sometimes when people, like a question like this, which is an absolutely great question. Uh, the, but the, the thing is you, you spend so, these things take a long time. I don't mean this in a, I'm not dismissing it. It's like you spend six months probably in that writer's room with boards and you're thinking so many variations of things. And sometimes the, the, these issues are solved in the writer's room, but sometimes they're all kind of percolating. And you're right. right. Sometimes it just happens on set. Like Jason might go, oh, you should, this should happen. And as soon as it's said, it's like, yeah, obviously that should happen. But we hadn't thought of this for nine months. You know what I mean? But yeah. like when you have an idea, like I don't remember the exact order that it came that Rebecca spits on him. And it may have been the writer's room. It may have been later. But whenever it comes, it, it, when ideas like that happen, they feel, yeah. It's like something clicks into place and you're going, yes, that was the thing. That was yep. the thing that was like floating in the air above us. And at some point it yeah. was grabbed. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Sure do. Yeah. It's that one Good little magic. missing magic, piece of the yeah. puzzle. Yeah. When you, when you got it. Yep. It works. Um, when, uh, when Roy does not do the press conference and Rebecca calls him to her office. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that scene so much. Uh, what, I, I wrote down some of the, what did she say? Is, is, is that the plan for the rest of your life? You're just going to walk away from everything the second it isn't fun or easy. Uh, she asked Rory if, uh, says he's convinced he doesn't deserve anything good in his life. And then get out of your own way, man. Mm. That, uh, okay. So take me into one, just the conceptualizing of why is Rebecca going to be the person to deliver this? And then inside that scene with Hannah. There are, there are so many things that, you know, I don't know if people pick up on, but like that we've thought about, like, for example, here's a, sub, a sidebar, but on the same subject, like sometimes I get asked what Roy thought of Nate in season two. But if you watch, if you watch Roy in season two, Roy loves Nate. Roy mm-hmm. loved Nate in season one. He he defended him. He didn't like him yeah. being bullied. He stood up for him. Roy's always had a soft spot for Nate. And if you watch in every scene I have with Nate in season two, I'm always trying to touch him. I'm always trying to put my arm around him. I'm always trying to pat, you know, like nice one, pat his back. Yeah. And every time he flinches, but Roy doesn't notice because so Roy's oblivious to this resentment that's growing with mm. Nate. If you watch any time Roy and Nate, they might be in the background of thing, but I'm always like, he's my guy. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, Roy's yeah. blind to, he's, he's angry. And with Rebecca, Rebecca and Roy don't have a lot of scenes together, but every scene they have, they have a scene in the first one where he, he's at Miss Weldon and it's Roy. 
Mm-hmm. They have a respect for each other. She knows uh, he, he's the captain. She re- at least respects that. I think she thought it was a bit scary. <laughs> then she sees, she observes the uh, Roy Keeley of it all and is kind of like, this is a nice thing. And then in season two, he tells her, don't you dare set up for fine. And he's yeah. talking about Keeley for himself. It's the first time Keeley's heard this. It's the first time he's expressed anything like this. And it's kind of, and then they've broken up. She knows that. She's seeing Roy around the club. He's fucking miserable. What have you done to you? Why have you made your life miserable? This was the love of your life and you fucked it up. I don't know what's wrong with you. Get out of your own way. And, it, and it, it's eventually leading to this moment, which is her side of don't you dare settle for fine, really. And, and the, so these, these, these Roy Rebecca moments there, there's not many of them, but each of them are significant. And it's kind of to, Two people who have tremendous respect for each other, who they're not best friends, but they are aware of each other's trajectory, I think, through the whole the whole thing, which is why I sort of, again, in the kind of dreamscape of what would happen next, I like that Roy and Rebecca will have to talk more because she, she he's now her number two, you know? And yeah. And uh and they'll have to have biscuits, you know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> yeah. But also yeah. within all of this there's the there's the the you know she really speaks to the hole in in Roy, which is you know you don't think you deserve any of this, so you you sabotage you're a total self sabotager, and you could have you could have it all, but you're in you're literally in your own way. And, yeah. and then on top of all of that is you know I love Hannah Waddingham, she's fucking amazing, and so anytime you have a scene with her, five stars. <laughs> would do you think Roy would have listened? to anyone else delivering that message? That's such a good good question. Uh, yeah, I think it, it has to be her because I think it's the, yeah, he, he's he's always re- respected her. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I also have always thought Roy doesn't, Roy just, Roy was never like, in the way that Higgins has his own journey of like having helped Rupert. I think Roy always, Roy always knew the deal with Rupert. Like when, when Rupert was the owner, I think Roy would have just been this fucking guy. And wouldn't have liked the bullshit of yeah. having to talk to him or, you know, yep. he'd just be like, I'm here to play football. I'm not here to be your fucking mate. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I think it has to it has to be Rebecca for it to, for, to wake him up. I think if it was Ted, it would be like, here we go. Here we go. Another Ted talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally a Ted talk. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. you mentioned the biscuits. I, I, I don't know. I can't picture Roy making biscuits for Rebecca. And you? Well, listen, Roy can cook. That's true. But yeah, I'd like to think he'd make a he'd make a biscuit. They might not be as good. Okay, but, uh, that's they right. Yeah, they might be delicious. They might be a different kind of biscuit. Yeah, he might make bourbons. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I know those. They're like chocolate chocolate biscuits. Oh, sold. Great. You said the magic word. All right, chocolate. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. All right. Um, after the finale, Apple TV Plus tweeted. Yes. Smells like potential with an image of uh, Beard, Roy, and Nate. Just humor me for a minute. Describe that potential spinoff or continuation. For the record, none of us were (laughs) involved in that. Fair enough. Okay. In that picture, in that tweet being tweeted. And I think I include Apple in that. I don't think anyone had an idea what was going on there. I think it was just, here's a picture from the show. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people may have misinterpreted it. Uh, what would 
what would that potential be? Well, yeah, it'd be Bourbons with the Boss. It would be, <laughs> it would be Roy making cho- chocolate biscuits for Rebecca oh. and uh, Beard and Roy working out who who could communicate the least. <laughs> and, uh, and Nate Nate doing all the good stuff. And, uh, you know, and a lot of bloody laughs along the way. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um that of course, you know, there there have been lots of talk of, well, yeah, maybe maybe there will be spin-offs, maybe there will be this, maybe there will be that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so let's rank the possibility of spin-offs. So there's that one, you know, with, with the three guys, they like the show continues on. So there's that. There's also we we got the the little seed dropped. Uh Keely proposes to Rebecca about starting a women's team. Uh or we could stick with Ted back in Kansas City. Maybe he's coaching a youth team, a university, or a, or an American team hires him. Or like we could follow Trent Krim into another team's locker room. All right, so there are four possibilities. Like, what do you think the likelihood of any of those happening, best to worst? I don't know that they're the most likely candidates for a spin-off. I think the the more likely spin-off is a hospital drama <laughs> starring Roy's sister. <laughs> okay, here's where I appreciate your your comedic brain because I feel like you have a different answer for everyone when you get asked this, and I, I respect it and I appreciate it. <laughs> Just focus on Phoebe. Give I her do, a show. I do a fucking teen a teen school dra- high school drama with Phoebe would be fucking great but I'd, l- I'd like it also to be a musical a zombie musical <laughs> i honestly i'm in i'm High in school zombie musical really. yeah you you wouldn't not watch it i uh, uh, exactly i wouldn't not watch it yeah i wouldn't mind making a a religious drama with uh higgins son who's the priest <laughs> uh and i would also be open to um i really and genuinely you see them in the finale in uh, Beard After Hours uh, when he gets chased by the scary man and the scary man with the woman with the red dress and it turns out they're a couple. I would like to follow their relationship <laughs> now they've had the baby, the ins and outs and his work and his work life and her work life. <laughs> but listen, I'm just one of the writers. Look, I mean, writers have a lot of influence. Once you're able to get back into a writer's room, of yeah. course, of course, we will we will hedge it with that. But yes, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I my, now my mind is running wild. We're with seeing all of those characters doing things. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I know you were you were never supposed to be on Ted Lasso. You have been hired as a writer. You yeah. one day finally had this epiphany. Wait, maybe. I can be Roy. You self-taped, you sent it to the guys. The rest is history. Um, is that is that a very like Brett Goldstein thing to do, like shooting your shot like that? Or did you like really have to work up the courage and, and kind of have your own like believe moment? I've been thinking about this for a while. I, I, in hindsight, I go, yeah, that was pretty bold. I, on the other hand, I really felt it. Like I really was like, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't try. Yeah. I'd be really, I'd be so annoyed if I hadn't done it. And I think in terms of, is that a typical thing for me to, I tend to do the thing that scares me eventually. I wish I could cut the bit where I fucking waste a week worrying about it. Because in the end, I'll always do it. In the end, I, I'll always do it. 
but I spend a lot of time fucking worrying about it and that's a waste of time because I know, I think I know so quickly, you're going to fucking do it, so just get on with it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great lesson. But, but, but I haven't done... I haven't done that particular thing a lot because I haven't felt I haven't felt that passionately about a part before. I don't think like I really, really was like fuck. You felt him brewing in there. You felt that connection. Yeah, yeah. I really, and I haven't I haven't had that a lot. I you know I often read things and I go, oh, this is good. But I'm not like I'd fucking kill to do that. Yeah, you got to seize the opportunity. Exactly. I think there's some you know obvious answers to this. You've you've won two Emmys in, in the process uh, of playing this character, but how has it, bigger picture, changed your life, the role and the show? It's completely changed my life. It's changed my life in, in all the ways. Like, you know, I mean, there is a, there is a, I joke about this in my stand-up, but it's funny how I have been working for, for many, many years. It's just that up to Ted Lasso, no one had really seen any of it. And you think back and you go, God, all that love and work. I used to just make stuff and then it's like kicking it down a well, like, see ya. Mm. <laughs> you know? And so to, to, to be in this thing that people have watched and it, and it's seismically different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of, look, in terms of opportunities, it's, it's wonderful. I've always been a workaholic and I, I don't know how long the window is open. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it feels like there's a window where for however long it might be a few months, but where I can at least get in the door to talk to certain people that I might be like, oh, I have this thing I'd really like to show you or make with you. Or... So that's very exciting. And, and it's a real privilege. And then, like I said, I have no idea how long that window is open because it could mm-hmm. close tomorrow and you go, all right, well, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's that. And, and also I learned, I, uh, I think making the show, I fucking learned so much making the show as well. And that's probably fed into my life and all these things. Mm. And, but it's also changed, you know, it's slightly, sort of you know I'm, I'm, I'm recognized more in the street and that is also uh, an odd difference that didn't used to be the case uh odd uh ever ever scary or odd typically in pleasant ways it's just weird it's just weird i don't know if you ever get used to it it's weird because you forget and you're just sort of living oh, your life and yeah. then suddenly someone you're like oh fuck uh, oh right oh yeah you know what I mean you think I, I'm just 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 trying to buy some bananas yeah <laughs> right right it's, it is it's very weird and it's but you know people are very nice and you you always have to just be like wow well you know thanks but I don't know if you get used to it well you mentioned um you know uh, kind of well the window being open doors being open yeah get, getting to do other things um shrinking is is you know uh, well, was, did shrinking come along because of Ted Lasso, or had had that been perhaps brewing? No, that had been brewing because me and me and Bill had had worked together before Ted Lasso, and had always kind of stayed in touch. Like we should do something one day, and yeah, that the 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 initial ideas that he and I had had separately that we put together were before Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, and then in the process you get to work some with, with some amazing people there, right. For some amazing people. Uh, w- yeah. would you consider guest starring being on alongside Harrison Ford or Jason Siegel, Jessica Williams? I mean, it's not a bad cast, is it? It's not a bad cast. No, 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 nice no. Do some scenes with them. Yeah. Be nice to do some scenes with them. Uh, Truthfully, we've talked about it. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll see. As long as as long as it is um, 
sensible to the show sure. rather than just me have, living a uh, make a dream come true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't use the privilege of just going, well, I just want to do a scene with Harrison Ford, so I'll just put myself in here. <laughs> Makes sense. Or there, or like, do we get do we get Sarah Niles? There's a crossover waiting to happen mm. as a sports psychologist. We do know that Roy is yeah. is talking to her now. So he is Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. There's probably no potential there for that. But uh but I don't know. I I mean I think yeah. again you're 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 looking in the wrong places. If you're gonna do a <laughs> a, a, a spin off from shrinking there's a, a scene uh in the <laughs> in the party where we meet a married couple who haven't been getting on and I think I'd like to follow their relationship. They're about to get divorced, I'd like to see their their uh, journey but as a horror film <laughs> oh gosh well um brett i this is this has been a great pleasure i i, I immensely enjoyed watching uh roy's journey in season three and and that finale was just chef's Thank kiss you. uh so yeah i guess that really just yeah. leaves one thing left to to say or sing so long for, no we don't have we don't have money to pay for the rights it's fine <laughs> you can sing it no oh, okay no okay all right uh well brett it's been a great pleasure Nice speaking with you. Adios. <laughs> See, there you go. Thank you very That's much. Always. I really enjoyed talking to you, man. <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay, so I'm down for literally any of those uh, spinoff ideas he he proposed there, but I don't know. I still want I still want the the all women's club. I want that spinoff. I want the Thrupple spinoff. And sure, we can throw in one of his um, funny suggestions there. But I love how he like tries to get out of that uh, conversation because <laughs> really it seems like they have no idea what they're going to do, but they, they're leaving it open to we'll figure out something. Um, but, but something really interesting he said there, well, first there was that the little Easter egg of all of, all of these musical things, all the songs that Roy knows, all because of Sophie. I thought was such a beautiful little like touch and tribute to that character yeah. that actress is also so great so funny um but you you noticed all that stuff he was talking about with Nate starting to pull away yeah i recently um after the finale debuted i just immediately went back to the very beginning and mm -hmm. rewatched all three seasons like in a binge um and you i i know that i really noticed Nate physically pulling away mm -hmm. every time Roy would like put his hands on his shoulders or like put an arm around him and and generally trying to be buddy buddy and bringing yeah. Nate into the yeah. inner circle. Which, by the and, way, that's not really Roy. He's not no. really a like so. But it just it's, yeah. it speaks to how much Roy really does have these good coach yeah. instincts of yeah. he knows what someone needs mm -hmm. and even when he doesn't even realize that he's doing it. Yeah. But and they knew Nate had good ideas. Yeah, that and was I obvious. Think it was all. Nate's issues were very clearly internalized yep. against his own, you know, self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, Ted even said, like, I in in one of the their face-to-face -face confrontations, like, I had no idea you were feeling this way. Like, yeah. we do recognize your worth. And, and, you know, it was all Nate pulling away and, and Nate putting all of this on himself. And I thought that that was just such an amazing subtle easter egg to yeah. to show the the reality of the situation yeah and I, by the way there are so many easter eggs so many callbacks in season three to previous stuff um I, I think i mentioned it there with brett um but like nick muhammad posted i believe it's on instagram or twitter he went through a lot uh I, sometimes he would do it week by week of little things talking about even um 
in in uh, season one, uh, Jason Sudeikis had a, a spit take in Hannah Waddingham's face, and in season three, they reversed it. Uh, there was a an outfit that she rewore uh, in season three. It might have been when he, it was what she was wearing when she met him, and then she mm-hmm. was wearing the same thing, I think, in The Farewell, yeah. um, when she was saying goodbye. I think that might have been it. Um, they were very smart. They thought about a lot of stuff, worked in these little tributes, and and when you know that, then, I mean, if you can go back and watch it, it um, it makes it kind of all the more special. Even if you didn't exactly like the storylines, there's mm-hmm. something really special about that. Yeah, I think it's the true mark of a well-written and well-created and well-acted show is mm-hmm. when you go back to the beginning and everything that happened throughout, you know, all the episodes, there's foreshadowing. Yeah, and, and it's so much. all like there's these little things that are planted that pay off in the long run and it shows that these writers and the creators knew what they were doing and they had a plan from the very beginning. They stuck to it. They didn't try to just keep the show going just for more money or for more awards. Like I just, I have so much respect for when a a plan is executed the way that it was originally intended. Yeah. Well, and speaking of respect, they had a lot of respect for their characters Yes, and a lot of love. And that really came through on screen. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it made you love them all the more because you could tell how much care was put into creating them, not yeah. just from the writers, but mm-hmm. also those actors. Yeah. And, and for some of these people, I mean, it's it was big opportunities for them, which I don't think they necessarily knew when they were filming season one. But after the mm-hmm. reaction, I mean, Hannah has been very vocal and open about like how it's changed her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I won't keep talking about that because it'll make me start crying. But it's <laughs> a, I'm just so happy to see people like that succeed because she's just mm-hmm. such a good person and a damn good actress oh my god yeah she yeah. she's fantastic i love that she's finally getting her due yeah and i think just as a whole there's a reason why the show became as popular and as critically acclaimed as it did because it just there is so much love behind the scenes and it yeah. comes through on screen and it, and it makes you feel happy mm-hmm. like i i mean when the when the first season came out it was a very dark time in all of our lives sure was and I couldn't remember the last time that I'd watched a show that made me feel so good. Mm-hmm. And it was just a joy to watch. And yeah. that's why I will always have a special place in my heart for the yeah. show. And I think that we're now seeing a great, you know, trend in, in more shows like that, like Abbott mm-hmm. Ad- Elementary. Like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Shows that just make you feel really good and happy. And yeah. I think I, I just I love that trend. Mm, well, I, here here for more of that. <laughs> uh if you're listening, and we made a plea to t- uh, the TV Academy earlier, producers, give us more feel-good television. <laughs> yes, Movies please. as well. We're here for it. Um, all right. Well, Sydney, uh, let's wrap this up here. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Of course. And uh, thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, you can follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at E on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We are taking next week off, but we will be back the week after that. So we will see you then. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.